as you know, I've always been passionate about wrestling. Wrestling is my life. It's 24-7, and I really don't regret it, and I really don't care if other people think that that's not healthy or they do other things. That's dumb. When you come into one of my sessions, whether that's on Twitter spaces or on live streaming, either on kick.com forward slash Marie Shadows or twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore Shadows or anywhere else that you see me live with my buddies as a panel guest, you know, I want to make sure that that authenticness and my love and passion for wrestling shines through. And all of my accolades and credentials and all of that, that shines through too. So this episode is obviously night four of Best of the Super Juniors. It is the review for May 16th, 2023. And before we get into the actual review, just know that uh, there is still time for you to sponsor me if you ever want to sponsor me. Um, because I am going to be doing commentary this Saturday at Goddesses of War Wrestling over at New Jersey. There is a flyer with me on it, and I've been really gushing about it like throughout this whole entire week. And honestly, I am quite nervous, but at the same time, I'm excited because that's one of the things that I wanted to do in wrestling other than just do podcasting. And I, like I said, I do have a playlist of all of my practice commentary. And, um, you know, I put that on the back burner because there was just a rise in commentators. And I was just like, well, I don't really have the confidence at the moment. Uh, but I am appreciative of me never giving up on that dream and always having, you know, some type of conversation and some type of skills to work at it. And I'm really excited for this Saturday to be the commentator for Goddesses of War Wrestling. If you guys don't know what Goddesses of War Wrestling is, it is an all-woman's promotion. It is a sister promotion to Titan Championship Wrestling, another organization that I love working with. And guess what? This Saturday, there's still enough time for you to get tickets for both events because it is a double header. That's right. At around 3 p.m. on Saturday, that should be for Goddesses of War Wrestling. Well, actually, no, wait, I can't say it should be. It is going to be for that. And then after Goddesses of War Wrestling, here comes Titan Championship Wrestling. And the cards are stacked, ladies and gentlemen. I will get into, you know, talking about the matches in either another Twitter space right before the event or maybe on a live stream. I don't know yet, but I really do want to bring a spotlight and a light to both Goddesses of War Wrestling and Titan Championship Wrestling. Again, they're both, they are both going to be in New Jersey, a doubleheader. Do not wait and get your tickets now. You can head over to titan-championship.com and it'll take you to the website. Like Google Titan Championship Wrestling takes you to the website and there is a... On the navigation page, there's a thing called, like, tickets or upcoming events. Click on it, and you'll be transferred to the ticket page. Or you could just go to the uh, Titan Championship Wrestling's uh, Twitter account, and they always post up the links and everything like that. So you can get your tickets, and uh, we could all enjoy a very, very good time on a Saturday, May 20th, for both Goddesses of the War Wrestling and Titan Championship Wrestling. And who knows? You know, if you guys come over to those events, you'll definitely be on my vlog. You definitely can give shout outs. You know, you guys can put yourself over because I will be trying to do some type of 
double duty of commentator and like vlogging. I don't know how this is gonna work, but like, man, I just love what I fucking do. I just really do. I just love everything about the opportunities that I'm given, and I want to take each and every one of you guys along for the ride uh, for this. All right. With all of that being said, we could jump right into Best of the Super Juniors. As always, if you guys don't remember the rules for Best of the Super Juniors, it goes as the following. To get two points, a wrestler must need a pin or a, or a submission. To get one point, a wrestler will need a count out. And uh, to get no points, uh, the referee will have to deem that match a no contest and or call for a DQ. And by the way, if you guys want to know, the amount of time we all sat together and watched Best of the Super Juniors from opening to night four is a total of 11 hours, 31 minutes, and 13 seconds. I got my own shadow stat. I don't know, but, you know... Um, yeah, there goes the stat of how many hours we've been watching uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling for Best of the Super Juniors. Uh, so, like I said, this one is in um, this one is on today, the 16th. I was gonna, I was gonna be like, oh, it was in the 16th. Of course, it was in the 16th. This one was at Akita Prefecture Budokan, and if you guys been listening to my Twitter spaces, I've been explaining about crowd differences and how they react to certain wrestlers and, like, how much they know versus, like, you know, how much we know as Americans. In Japan, they always keep a kayfabe, and depending on where they go, they get a different crowd reaction. Akita is very knowledgeable on who they like, and it's very evident in, like, each of these matches of how the crowd reacts to the wrestlers. Like I've been saying, if they go over to Kirk and Hall... You are basically a rock star. If you go over to uh, Nagano, Nagano is a lot more traditional. And when they clap, you know, you can hear the appreciation, uh, but you're not really going to get like a loud, rambunctious crowd. If you go over to Nagoya, you're going to get those fans that will cheer in the back. They'll be very loud. And they'll either cheer for like, you know, Robbie or Leo or Akira. Like you'll hear it. You'll hear the like respect for it because they're like, really um, calling out and, like, supporting their favorite wrestler. And then, you know, over here in Akita, it's half of everything except for, like, making people a rock star. But it's basically, like, half of, you know, the clapping traditional. And then no one really spoke. Everyone was just, like, you know, you can hear the claps and, again, like, the ooh, ahs and stuff like that. So I'm just going to go right into the match card. Uh, so for Block B, we had Clark Connors versus Yo. And something surprising happened in this match. Like, two surprising things happened in this match. We're getting, like, a really nice roller coaster of character development for Yo, which I am very proud of because, for the most part, after Yo and Sho broke up, after Rapungi 3K broke up, I was like, all right, Yo, like, you know, show me what you can do. Like, let me know what you can do on your own. Show is fine. Even though Show aligned himself with House of Torture, Show is doing great. Yo, on the other hand, in that time frame of trying to find himself and him coming out in those huge ass hoodies and like shorts, 
that looked very, very comfortable on him. He alternated between like black and white. That that's about it. There was like no other colors. And then like all of a sudden, ever since Leo Rush came into Chaos and teamed with Yo back at uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's and uh, New Japan Strong's forty-fourth uh, on Rumble. No, Rumble on Forty-fourth Street. Um, that event in New York City. Ever since teaming up with him there for that tag team match, Leo has definitely changed Yo, but ever since then, they haven't really been much of a tag team. We had um, the junior tag team uh, tournament, I believe, during that year. Because I don't think it was this year. It was definitely not this year. Or maybe it wasn't. I just don't remember. But it should have been, like, last year. But that tournament was the only time that, like, Yo and Leo were this tag team. And then all of a sudden we get to um, Best of Super Juniors and Yo is coming out in like denim and it looks really nice. It looks really cool. Um, It's very fashionable. Like I can see like Yo being the most like fashionable guy there. Um, So, you know, because he's like fashionable and whatnot, he's getting a personality. He's getting color on him. And I don't mean blood. I mean, like, actual color where you're like, oh, look, it's Yo. Like, he's he's there now. He's not, like, in the background as a background character. So because of this change, you know, I've just been really thinking about his character progression, and it's been really good. Now, this is, like, I was going to say this is, like, different in a way because I wanted to, like, compare and contrast, con- contrast uh, Yo and... Clark Connors, but I really can't do that because Clark did like a whole 180. He moves, uh, you know, slowly as a heel, very methodical as a heel, uh, really tries to intimidate the crowd. Um, the crowd, like some of them, some of them will respond to Clark, but not all will respond to Clark. Once I get towards the ending of this, then I'll explain a little bit further of how he finally got the fans to like react to how he wanted them to react because for the past three nights in three different crowds, well, I can't count Kirk and Hawk. Cause like I said, whoever goes to Kirk and Hall, you're automatically a rock star. It does not matter if you are a heel or a face. When you are wrestling in front of a Kirk and Hall crowd, you're basically a rock star. You could do whatever. They'll still react, you know, the way that you want them to react and you want to hear it. Um, so in this one, when the match starts out, Clark Connors is very focused. Clark Connors is, you know, wanting to go for multiple spear attempts, but Yo is very quick. He avoids all of them until, uh, you know, Clark doesn't stop himself uh, fast enough and hits his head into the other corner pad. And as the referee is checking on Clark, Yo over here went to the other side of the ring to undo that corner pad. And I'm not sure if you guys saw my tweet on my timeline, but I was like, wait a minute. Why is Yo trying to take off the corner pad? Like, Yo never does this. Yo follows the rules. Yo is, you know, part of chaos. Like, they all have this honor. They don't really do anything like like that unless you're Yano, because Yano does whatever the fuck Yano wants. And no one stops him. And yet he's still not a Bullet Club member because he cheats like a Bullet Club member. Hmm. Anyway, the only other person that will take off the corner 
pad would definitely be Yano. However, we see Yo do it. So I'm questioning Yo. I'm like, Yo, you are either channeling your inner Yano or you're turning this careless heel into a heel. Like, what is happening here, man? So, even though he does that, uh, Clark Connors manages to do that, if he still calls it, the Jeep flip slash pounce on, on Yo. And then Clark, you know, would use the corner pad. Uh, the referee allows this to happen as uh, Clark, uh, you know, hits Yo multiple times with the corner pad. And then it, it just felt weird. It was like, but Yo took it off. Clark is using it against Yo. Like, what was the point of that, dude? Clark then throws Yo into the ring post and sends Yo back first into the exposed steel. For as many times as Yo has been tagging with Chaos and they and he would have like Yano in his corner, like you would think that he'll be prepared to not get hit with the exposed steel. I'm just saying. Clark goes in for that suplex and elbow on Yo right after Yo hits his back against the exposed steel. There's that chin lock to slow everything down. Yo manages to get some offense in with a nice cannonball to the outside on Clark. Clark did not really see that coming. Following, following it up with a twisting cross body to Clark. But Clark is like, I'm not going to stay down this time. Clark does a beautiful power slam. If you guys know anything about like the way I podcast and the way I look at wrestling, there are certain moves in wrestling where I'm like, yo, there's some beautiful ass moves. That power slam was one of them. Yo counters Clark Connors' spear into the no chaser moveset, which then allows for Yo to send Clark into the exposed steel. Clark goes for another spear, moves, doesn't really, um, oh, apologies. I read it wrong in my notes. Yo moves out of the way. Clark again hits, hits the exposed steel and then, uh, Yo comes in with a kick and then a roll up with a bridge and another surprise win from Yo. The last time this happened was at the last event or night. Same thing happened with Clark Connors. Those flash pins are having Clark lose. But this time Clark wasn't cocky or arrogant like he was in the previous night that happened to him. Yo just happened to be at the right place, right time, and I guess with the right momentum and force in order to get that type of um, flash pin on Clark. But then right after that, Clark decides to have a post-match post-match beatdown on Yo to where he's taking the corner pad, hitting Yo multiple times, and then Gato slides in a chair and Yo is positioned with his head resting on the corner pad and here comes Clark to hit him with the steel chair. And that is where the crowd finally reacted to, I guess, what Clark wanted. Because for the past two nights in Nagoya and Nagano, those nights in those arenas with those crowds, they're not reacting to Clark how they should be reacting to him as a heel. I think that I don't, I don't know if people in Japan, not, not over here in uh, America, I don't know if people in Japan understand the new way that 
Bullet Club is being handled because, you know, obviously it, when someone decides to become a heel, it's not always going to take. It's not always going to be, you know, um, accepted overnight. It takes a little bit of time for, like, heels to be accepted, especially if this is in Japan. In America, I guess we could debate about it because there'll be some instances where, like, a heel will automatically take, but then, like, another heel will take a little bit longer to, you know, get to that point where you're like, all right, this guy is a is a really dashly heel, so I have to, like, boo him. Over in Japan, like, every one of these, every one of these characters take time for the fans to understand that, oh, I should cheer, or, like, oh, I like something about this guy, so let me cheer. The same thing with a heel. I think that we've gotten, like, I guess two years or two and a half years of lovable bullet club that the moment that David Finley came in to take what's his, it changed the whole dynamic. And I don't know if the Japanese fans were ready for it. Of course, the Japanese fans that, um, you know, are always like pro bullet club, you know, they get it, but everyone else to come around to being fans of Bullet Club, or to still stay fans as Bullet Club, I don't think they get it just yet. And I'm still trying to figure out what's the best way to help Clark to get over on that. Like, you know, um, that's what I feel like I've been trying to do for these episodes, is trying to find something off the top of my head, like really sitting down and analyzing every one of his matches in Best of the Super Juniors and trying to come up with some type of solution to where he can, like, really excel as a heel. Because, honestly, you guys you guys know me that I, I really enjoy Clark Connors no matter what. Like, if he's a heel babyface, I really don't care. He's a really good competitor. He could tell a really good story. I know, you know, the wrestlers are like, you know, this isn't the real Clark Connors or it is the real Clark Connors or whatever. But just to try to get him over this hurdle and for him to use the chair on Yo really brought out, like, the side of the Japanese fans in that arena to boo him, to, like, do what he wanted them to do. Um, to the point where, like, one of the girls at uh, at, like, the guardrail was, like, very animated about like doing the thumbs down motion as in as in like you know she disapproves of what of what he did and he just goes up to her and intimidates her but she's still doing the same motion you know it felt like all right cool you finally like broke a crowd like you got it dude but like he has to keep that momentum going and like I don't ever want a heel to like fall flat because then what's the point? You're putting in all this work, you have like a brand new character, and if it falls flat, you have a little bit more harder time climbing up that side of the mountain in order to get back to like what it means to be a heel and like how are fans reacting to you? So I, I really do try my hardest to be like, yo, what can I suggest? So this is what I suggest in a way. And if Clark ever hears this, like, you know, I, I got you, buddy. Um, I was thinking that, like, and this goes for, you know, excuse the noise outside if you guys hear that on the VOD, but, um, 
you know, this goes to like everybody that, you know, if you're going to go to Japan to wrestle or you're going to go to like Mexico to wrestle or you're going to go somewhere to wrestle where like, you know, their language is not your native tongue. I usually think that sometimes to get over is to, you know, learn the language, learn a couple of phrases. So that way, you know, if you are a heel, you can play it up because what's the one thing that like I. Okay, so I'm going to speak from experience here in New York City because there's a lot of different cultures and there's a lot of different people that speak a lot of different languages. And those that don't speak the other languages sometimes feel left out or targeted because they don't understand what's happening, right? So sometimes you might feel that way if you're going to go over to Japan and you really don't know anything, you know, to say in Japanese other than maybe like the, you know, the obvious like, Konnichiwa or like what uh, or like Watashiwa and stuff like that. Like, you know, the, the basics, the very, very basics, right? I was thinking as a heel, Clark should probably learn the phrase of is this your hero now? Uh, you know, because it looked like when he got yo down on the ground, especially on the outside, he should have like really yelled to the crowd. Is this your is this your hero now? And he probably would have got a reaction. Now imagine if he would have said that in Japanese. Everybody would have been taken aback because honestly, what Japanese person would think that a foreigner is going to learn their language? Like, you know, maybe that's like I don't know. I want to I want to use percentages, but uh, you know, it's a it's not very highly a foreigner is going to learn another language for the sake of learning another language. You know what I mean? If it's, if, if they're, if they're just visiting another place, someone is probably going to think like, Oh, they're not going to learn the language. But if you do, it throws them off their game. So now they're going to have to boo you because then they're like, how dare you learn, you know, our language and how dare you speak that back to us? Yeah. Yo is our hero. So we're going to cheer harder for yo. Do you guys see the connection here? Like, this is what I fucking do. I just think of, stuff off the top of my head and try to make sense of it <laughs> and try to give suggestions. But that's the only thing that I can think of is like, if you want to try to get this heel character over, you end up doing that. You end up, you know, learning their language. Um, I even suggested this too, when, uh, you know, we had the upcoming match on WWE with Bianca versus Asuka, another layer to Bianca Belair for her to be champion it would have been great if she would have learned a couple phrases in Japanese and then like say it back to Asuka because if no one on that roster is going to have a character that's similar or greater than Asuka and you're going to be an ordinary person, then your best bet is to learn the language and try to be on some type of playing field with your opponent that you know nothing about. Like, I mean, well, she knows, she knows, she knows about Asuka, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of character-wise, like, if you see Asuka, I don't know if we're going to call her an entity. I don't really think she's an entity. But, you know, for the sake of this, if you are not going to match up to the character or become greater than the character that Asuka is playing, your best bet is to learn her language, throw her off her game, because now she has to start thinking about, oh, well, if she learned Japanese... Does that mean that she also switched up her moveset? And if she switched up her moveset, then I have to work on my game in order to make sure that, you know, Bianca doesn't get a one-up on her. Like, it's 
it's a game of psychology and like manipulation and playing that mental game, you know? So I hope like all of that made sense. And if it does, let me know. Shoot me a DM or something. Um, I just like to make sure that like the wrestlers that I talk about and that I show love for can really try to elevate themselves and think outside the box because sometimes they get put into a box, they go, 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 but they don't like step back and be like, oh shit, you know, how else can I, you know, elevate myself? You know, you can have all the matches in the world, but again, how many people are going to remember those matches if you're not making any type of connection with the fans, with the audience, with the internet? Uh, By the way, the internet does come last if you want to, like, make a connection. You make better connections when you're there live, in person, at the shows, and then later on, that person that you made the connection with, they'll put that, you know, interaction online, they'll put your match online, and then that's how that that's how those connections, uh, you know, become grander for you to get more followers and shit. So it's live events in person that makes you who you are, and then the internet takes it from there and, like, blow you up. Um, not in any harmful way, but, you know, to put you over. I just said that, to put you guys over. Um, So, yeah, I know I spent a lot of time on the first match, but I just wanted to make sure that, like, I got the point across of, you know, in order for Clark to succeed as this new heel in Bullet Club, I think that might be a thing to try out, you know. And by the way, whenever I give advice or any type of suggestions to like improve it doesn't mean you have to like scrap everything it just means that like if it works for you it works for you that's awesome if you think that you know maybe it could work for you you could write it down put it away somewhere later and you never know sometimes in life and or um you know in your career you might look back at it and be like hey i might need this advice now so let me go so let me go you know take this advice and go do it it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, you know, you have to go do at this very second. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that the opening match was Block B. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, the second match is Block A with Teton versus Taguchi. This was a very interesting match because you have two different styles, but, like, it went really well together. They were chain wrestling in the beginning. Of course, they did a spot, the pass-through spot, basically, when you're running the ropes and your person that you're training with, or in this case, wrestling with, like, you know, would just pass you on by. You know, there there always has to be one spot, just one. Teton comes in with a drop kick to Taguchi. Taguchi avoids the dive only to do a second rope plancha slash crossbody and then a hip attack to Teton. By the way, I would just like to say that Taguchi has been doing a wonderful job in Best of the Super Juniors 30 as being a serious wrestler and has been a Best 
a breath of fresh air because I can only take comedic wrestling for so long. You know, um, even when Taguchi was IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions with Master Waldo, that was still a great tag team. They, they were still doing some really good stuff. It felt really good. But again, this serious uh, Taguchi, um, you know, uh, it's very good to watch. We get both of them doing a combo attack, which basically they mirrored each other. We get this huge strike from Teton, another drop kick, and that double down. Everybody loves the double down, man. In this match, Suguchi was definitely working on Teton's ankle. However, even though Taguchi was really putting up a fight, Teton comes in with a tornado DDT. Taguchi kicks out of that one, but Teton again puts on the Moodle Lock, but in a tighter way of doing it by really arching uh, Taguchi's back. And um, Taguchi taps out. And that gives Teton his two points. And by the way, in the first match, Yo gets two points. For block B, we had Robbie Eagles versus Bushi. If you guys don't know, on Twitter, I did put out a tweet asking for Bushi matches because I'm still not impressed. And I don't think it's on him per se. It's just, you know, there's something off whenever Bushi wrestles. And I'm not sure what the hell it is. And the, the matches I've been seeing him have in Best of the Super Juniors for this year have not really been impressive. There's something off as if, like, he's either a step behind or he gained a little bit of weight and don't know how to wrestle with that little bit of weight. Or there's just something completely off whenever he wrestles with certain wrestlers or he just wants to focus on the game plan and this is what we do this is what we have to do and i can't and he can't really stray away from it so when i did that i want to give a quick shout out to um uh true heel sp3 for giving me a whole entire list of bushi matches and um you know as you guys know today is tuesday Tuesdays are reserved for Tape Study Tuesdays where we watch wrestling matches of a particular wrestler or spotlight an indie wrestler, which, by the way, if you are an indie wrestler listening to this after the fact, if you want me to watch your match and give you feedback, like live feedback, like in real-time feedback, DM me, let me know, send me a match, a really good one. And I will gladly give you feedback if you want me to. It's up to you. But Tape Study Tuesdays and now Tape Study Thursdays, which is an extension of Tape Study Tuesday, those are days reserved for watching um, wrestling matches. Today, hopefully, I can stream some Tape Study Tuesday and I was going to watch some Dan Maloney matches. And then maybe Thursday, if everything goes well for Thursday because I got a freaking dentist appointment, We'll watch some Bushi matches because even as I'm looking at this list, like Bushi versus Osprey and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Power Struggle in 2019, or Bushi versus Kushida and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Best of Super Junior 24, Day 5. Um, and then also again, but this time at like Destruction and Kobe in uh 2018. Um, that stuff doesn't like pop out to me. 
I don't even remember too well about Bushi versus El, uh, El Desperado and Despi at New Japan Castle Attack in 2021. And I know that I probably reviewed it. I just don't remember it. Now, something that does like probably stand out to me will be the Bushi and Hiromu versus Birds of Prey for the New Japan, well, at New Japan Pro Wrestling's Road to the Tokyo Dome 2020. Um, I don't even remember that. I really don't. Um, listen, I think we can all agree that 2020 is still a fucking blur as if it like, did it happen or did it not happen? Um, but you know, I'm thankful for him to give me that list of Bushi matches. Cause I will, uh, take a day with you guys, with my community and we will watch Bushi matches and I will analyze it because I'm like, yo, there is something wrong with the matches that I'm seeing him wrestle uh, against. Well, not wrestle against, wrestle in against his, against his opponents, if that makes sense. So that's why in this one with Robbie Eagles, like, it was just really off. I think Bushi hits a lot of power moves, and maybe that's why it's off, because the power moves don't really help him or help his opponent, and doesn't, like, mesh well in the style. So maybe that's what it is, that, like, Bushi does freaking power moves um, even though he, he's like a luchador. So anyway, that's just my dilemma. I'd rather have you guys know like some of the tweets that I tweet out during Best of the Super Juniors. Uh, so Bushi drop kicks Robbie's knee. We get a neck breaker. Bushi ends up putting the SCF on Robbie, but rope break. And Robbie likes to do those short suplex uh, maneuvers, which looks really cool. We got a flying mid-kick, almost uh, near fall. We got some double knees to Bushi, but Bushi kicks out. And Robbie goes straight into the Ron Miller special. We got a rope break, and then a DDT on the apron by Bushi to Robbie Eagles. Now that I'll give, I'll give Bushi credit for, and like any other wrestler that does that, like hanging. DDT onto um, the um, the apron. We got a kick to the chest and chin area. Like Robbie went in and like kicked him, and then he fell back. And when I say he, I mean Bushi. And Robbie went for the cover and one, two, three, and that was it. So that was like a really short match that gained Robbie two points. Usually matches with Robbie Eagles goes at least like 15 minutes, close to 20 minutes. Yeah, this wasn't that long. So, yeah, stay tuned for, you know, looking on my socials about when I'm going live to watch Bushi matches. Because, you know, if you want my opinion and commentary, like I would gladly give you my commentary and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's to really like get impressed with Bushi and like learn more stuff. Um. Block A had TJP versus Doki. This match could have been the shortest match in, like, I don't know, maybe New Japan history or best of Super Junior history because TJP was not waiting. TJP was like, fuck this guy, and used his speed to do a baseball slide and throwing him back into the ring. When I say him, I mean Doki. Throwing Doki back into the ring to do a mama splash and try to get the one, two, three. 
And it was just exciting. The crowd came alive for that match because TJP was like, nah, I'm going to end this within like four seconds, five seconds. So after all that, TJP still continues going after Doki with a crossbody to the outside. Another Mamba splash, but however, gets caught with the Doki Choki. Because Doki was like, nope, I've seen this before. Uh, we get a dive to TJP by Doki. And then TJP sends Doki headfirst into the entrance steel, where everyone makes their entrance out and they have like the little steel structure. So he hits his, he throws his head in there and then Doki returns the favor. TJP decides to suplex Doki on the rampway. And then we get a swinging suplex to TJP from Doki. We get a double stomp to TJP. TJP kicks out of that. We get Daybreak, finally. And then TJP does this, like, really cool move that it's a Cobra twist. But then he flips Doki onto his, like, shoulder blade area and goes for a uh, a pin. We get some face washes, then a Mamba splash, and Doki comes up with the knees and then transfer not transfers, transitions... Uh, TJP into the Doki Choki. TJP escapes that because TJP is a escape artist. And Doki goes after for a cradle which nearly got him the win. It nearly got him the win. However, TJP wins in the end with a Mamba's Flash and uh, Doki uh, does not get two points. So TJP gets two points added to his overall at the moment. The good thing about these Twitter spaces is that you guys get to hear how I sound in real time. Again, there are no scripts. The only thing I am referring to is my is my notes to give you character development, uh, commentating thoughts, stuff like that. Now we come to like one of my favorites match of the night, which is Block B, two United Empire boys. Akira Francesco versus Dan Maloney. Dan has been really surprising in this tournament of Best of the Super Juniors. And I really do like that he's part of the United Empire. And Akira is just good. Man, Akira is amazing. So to have these two guys fight, it was really nice to see. And I really enjoy when United Empire guys... Uh, you know, uh, end up fighting each other because uh, it's about competition. It's not about, you know, sort like if someone loses, they're not going to be like, oh, you're such a sore loser or whatever. It's a brotherhood, it's competition. That's exactly what it is. Most members in other groups are afraid to fight each other because that might cause destruction and division and anything you want to think of. And so, like I said, this is why I like United Empire because even though it's a brotherhood, they know it's a competition as well. They had a very beautiful opening start of trying to figure out who's going to get the first strike in, who's going to probably get the first move in, and both of them are really solid. And I think this is probably the first time them ever fighting. So, you know, it felt like a natural match. But then is quick to get the first strike in with a drop kick and then a vertical suplex. 
And then we get some like chop and kick ex- exchanges that end up having to have like a near fall. Akira comes in with some chops, but Dan is just a little bit more heavy handed than Akira. Akira could take all the punishment in the world. This guy is amazing the way he absorbs punishment. And, you know, Dan just has a little bit more extra um, hit. I have no idea what the word is that I'm looking for. I don't want to be like, oh, he has extra more power. He, that probably might be the right one. You know, whatever it is, Dan just hits a little bit more harder when it comes to every opponent he's faced in this tournament. Akira does this wonderful wheelbarrow double stomp to Dan, which looks amazing if you guys end up watching it. We get an outside plancha to Dan and then like a crossbody for a, you know, another near fall. Akira goes for a poison rana, but Maloney rebounds and does a spear to Akira. That's also another near fall. I do like the idea of a ripcord chop. I really do like that. I don't really see that too much. We see like the ripcord lariat, you know, that's a thing, but like a ripcord chop. I don't see it as much, so I don't really don't want people to be like, oh, but it's there in wrestling, or this person did it. That's cool. I'm just saying that I don't think I see it enough. Or if I do, maybe I'm not paying attention during that time. We get a fisherman suplex, another near fall. Like I said, Akira like absorbs all of this. Akira absorbs all of this punishment. I was gonna probably say another word, and I was like, wait a minute, no. Akira does avoid the Drill a killer. However, there is a drop kick, and that drop kick brings Dan to his knees for Akira to do speed fire, which is two double knees straight to the back of the head and the neck. This knocks out Dan. Akira goes for the cover. One, two, three, gets a victory over Dan of the United Empire, his own United Empire mate. Akira gets two points. It was a fantastic match. I really enjoyed it. Now we get block A, Kushida versus Mike Bailey. This one, I had a bit of an issue with it. And it was just about selling. And I have questions. I really do. I would really like, you know, somebody, mainly a wrestler, that wears kick pads 24-7 to slide it to my DMs and, like, answer me this question. Because I know Robbie Eagles was on commentary for this event, and, like, he gives wonderful explanations. So Robbie Eagles was mentioning how, like, people think that the kick pads that wrestlers wear is for protection when, like, maybe if you're going to throw a kick and you hit the ring post, which what happens in this match, that is for protection. And stuff. So, you know, normally I would be like, well, yeah, I would think that you guys wear it for protection for, you know, if you, just in case you hit the ring post or, you know, you land on the mat and like, you know, your legs don't absorb the shock directly, but the knee pad absorbs some of the shock, but you still feel it. So that's why I think like you guys wear knee pads is to like absorb that shock, but you know, uh, Robbie was explaining how, you know, it's it's about adding extra power and hurt to the opponent when you kick them. You know, how how much more can you hurt your opponent if you got, like, thick-ass 
uh, shin guards and like knee pads. So here's my question. Even if you do hit the ring post, wouldn't your shin still be crying out in pain for the whole entire match aside from adrenaline rush? Because I, I can understand adrenaline rush uh, that, like, you know, you're not going to feel the pain. But wouldn't you still have to, like, at least, well, I mean, you wouldn't have to. I mean, normally would you still walk a little bit funny because your your shin is fucking hurting after you hit the ring post, if that makes any sense? So let me put it in this context. Let me put, uh, let me put it in this context. So... The match between Kushida versus Mike Bailey, it you know it started beautiful. It started beautiful with uh, excellent chain wrestling, some grappling. Like Kushida is on his A game, so is Mike Bailey. They both go for like you know that double heel hook, you know some chops, some kicks, and then this is where Mike Bailey like ends up hitting the ring post, but he kicks the ring post because. Kushida ducks down, and I think like Bailey does this on occasion because I know I've seen like other clips of him doing this. By the way, how is his shin not like shattered already? And by the way, does Mike Bailey know of um like is has he ever taken Muay Thai classes? Because I heard which I don't know if it's exactly true or not, so I want to ask you, uh, let me know if it is, but I've heard that, like, if you take Muay Thai classes, you essentially have to kill the nerves in your shins so that way you don't feel the pain. Is it Muay Thai and or kickboxing? It should be, like, that type of martial arts. So, like, I just want to know, because I've seen Bailey hit, you know, the ring post uh, several times on different occasions, uh, depending on the clips and where they're from, and his shin would automatically hit the ring post. And I'm like, even though you have those shin guards to protect you, sir, is your shin not shattered by now? The same way that I, you know, question his knees. Like, is Mike Bailey a robot from the waist down? Or at least from, like, the knee down? Is he a... Is he a robot? That, you know, I want to know. And by the way, if that if that becomes a rumor and it circulates, that's going to be really sad. But I just have so many questions when I see Bailey fight. Because I'm like, bro, your knees should be, like, completely done every time you hit somebody with them or you fall or you, like, miss a shot. And then also your shins should be completely destroyed. Okay. I'm focusing way too much on that, but I really wanted to, like, get that out. Like, I have questions. That's all it is. I want to learn. So, after Bailey goes and, like, destroys his shin by hitting the ring post, Kushida takes advantage of this. Kushida is not letting Bailey breathe or recover, and it's straight back to his left leg that he messed up. However, uh, Mike Bailey still decides to do a running moonsault, and Kushida traps Bailey with this Kimura. And I don't understand how during the rest of this match, 
Mike Bailey is still giving Kushida like a knee shot, which by the way, that knee shot knocked Kushida out, but he managed to get up by the count of nine. And then Mike does some more kicks and it, and there was like attempted pins and double knees and uh, going on to a rope break. Kushida's over here doing a Cobra twist on Bailey to like subdue that speed. Some more kicks, that twisting kick. Kushida avoided the double knees. Some kicks to Bailey's arm, and Kushida puts in that Kimura lock. However, again, Bailey using his knees and his leg. We get a fisherman powerbomb, almost a near fall. However, the thing that ends this match is this heel hook that Kushida does. And then he does like he does a double heel hook and really like twists his body and that has Mike Bailey tapping. So Kushida gets two points. It was a very interesting match. So let me go back to uh what I said in the beginning that there was like one issue with this and it was called selling. I don't understand how Bailey was able to continue to do all that like the kicks, being on his left leg, and not really caring about trying to sell it. He was selling it, like, very little. But with something like that, like, you got to sell it. The same way that he was selling his his toe when he fought show. Like, if you're going to decide to kick the ring post and your shin is going to hurt, like, you got to sell that through and through and through. Like, it has to be there. It can't just be like, you know... It happened, but then, like, most of the match, I don't really see anything, no hopping, no trying to push Kushida away to try and get some life back into, you know, the shin and whatnot. Um, it's not, like, an overly bad thing, but I would have just liked a little bit more sounding, a little bit more believability, because now it's just, like, did you really kick the ring post for real? Like, you know, I want to make sure I want to keep it all kayfabe. I want to make sure... And tell, you know, the fans who are listening to this that, like, yo, man, like, he got hurt, but he triumphed and persevered. And I bet, like, afterwards, uh, you know, it's probably going to kill him. I wonder if, like, well, not not kill him in that sense. But, like, you know, um, is he going to be able to compete for the rest of the event? Like, my job is to try and get that emotion conveyed to the fans. And I just can't do that with this one. I will say that, like, Mike Bailey has bought his A-game to best of the Super Juniors the best way that, the best way, I mean, wrong thing. The same way that Kushida is doing the same thing. Um, but, yeah, that was just my little, little problem with it. Uh, because if he was going to really sell his big toe or his foot in general when he was facing show, at least, you know, sell that shin, sell that leg. Like, you know, if you have to push Kushida away, that doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean anything, whatever anyone else wants to make it out to be or whatever it is. But yeah, that's the only thing that I wanted to really touch on. Um, and by the way, is Mike Bailey a left, a lefty as in like, is, is he left-handed? Cause um, I've been starting to notice that uh, he does a lot of things 
left side heavy. So I just want to know if he's left-handed. Just a curiosity. We move on to block B, which is Kevin Knight versus Desperado. This was a fun match. And, you know, if I ever get the chance to interview Kevin Knight, like, I would love to ask him, like, does he get nervous when he's fighting veterans like El Desperado? It's a really good match. Like, Kevin Knight is really fast. Desperado is fast. But, like, you know, Desperado is not used to fighting someone like Kevin Knight. Kevin Knight is freaking tall. You know, if I was to stand next to Kevin Knight, I might end up fitting in his pants pocket because I'm fucking short. So, you know, um, I really enjoyed it. Kevin has come, like, a really long way uh, in improving, you know, overall. And I think that Desperado probably respects him after this. So even though they started off in a very, very fast pace, flying all over the ring and even to the outside and even to the point where Desperado was like, where the fuck did he go? You know, um, Desperado still manages to slow down this match just a little bit by doing a knee breaker and working the knee of Kevin Knight because, you know, Desperado has numero dos. But because Kevin Knight is so freaking tall, he's able to get to the ropes, like, with no problem. We get a really high dropkick and a tope con hilo to El Desperado on the outside. Springboard cross body, which looked really nice, onto Desperado. That sky-high powerbomb that he does, man. Like, even I, like, have a reaction to it every time that I, you know, watch it. I'm like, bro, my breath is leaving my body, too, every time I see it. But Desperado kicks out because you can't keep Desperado down. Kevin kicks out at, you know, uh, the uh, Pinche Loco. We try to get a crucifix pin attempt, then a cradle pin attempt, but El Desperado puts on numero dos. And, man, he's really, like, uh, working that leg uh, around his neck in order to get uh, Kevin Knight to tap. And Kevin, like, you know, reaches out for the rope, gets a rope break, and then finally El Desperado manages to do Pinche Loco on Kevin Knight and um, ends up getting the one, two, three. So two points for El Desperado. Kevin Knight, again, does wonderfully. So we head over to Block A. Block A is... Show versus Hiromu. And it's another house of torture. And the crowd in Akita, like, doesn't react the same way as everyone else does in Japan about house of torture. The only two people that were correctly reacting to house of torture was Kevin Kelly and Robbie Eagles. The crowd was reacting, but just you know, it wasn't as, it's not as vocal. It's not as, like, you know, you notice them. So, House of Torture thinks that they are clever. They always think that they're clever. They're a household name, but they always think that they're clever. Evil comes out first. Evil goes to the Japanese commentary table. Milano is like, why the fuck are you here? Like, you're not supposed to be here. Milano was probably like, I don't want you on commentary. Then Show comes out. Show is not even in ring gear. 
And then show gives the ring announcer. I should know the ring announcer all the time. Like, I should know his name. It is not Marty Asami. That's like one of the referees. How can I not? It's Abe. Abe, there we go. Because every time that House of Torture is out, Evil has this thing against Abe. And I'm like, what is the history behind it? Like, why the hell does Evil always have to, like, trip over the table where Abe sits and he announces and the ring bell is there? Like, why is that table always getting flipped over on Abe? So, Shell goes over to Abe. Shell is like, hey, you got to read this note, you know, and declare me the winner because, you know, Hiromu, uh, you know, couldn't make it. You know, so stupid shit, right? Because it's, it's House of Torture antics, okay? Um, I'm not even going to refer to them as Bullet Club. Like, they still refer to them as Bullet Club. But seriously, somebody send us to David Finley and be like, bro, can you please kick out House of Torture? Like, just kick them out. Like, if you need me to convince Gato, I could convince Gato to, like, kick them out. Because they don't really need to be there. They're taking up space. They could be on their own. It'd be fine. It'd be another faction uh, that's not part of another faction that, you know, could be on their own in New Japan. Anyway, so at first, Abe doesn't want to read it. So, but he ends up reading it because he gets bullied into reading it. And, you know, uh, Marty Asami does not want to raise the hand of Sho. Sho is like, raise my hand. But, you know, uh, as Evil and Sho walk or try to walk away, uh, try to go to the back, uh, here comes Hiromu's music. The whole crowd erupts because it's Hiromu. And uh, and uh, Evil's face uh, is like, what the fuck? Like, their plan got thwarted. And then here comes Hiromu with his running dropkick to show and being like, nah, we're having this match. There's a lot of flurries of attacks. Hiromu ends up doing the Death Valley driver into the corner with show on, you know, with show there. Basically throwing show into the corner, doing Death Valley driver. That's a better way of saying it. However, we still got some shenanigans with, you know, a chair being thrown in by evil, the distraction. Uh, you know, show and evil distracting the referee and like the wrench playing a part. Uh, Hiromu doing an Eddie Guerrero spot that as soon as the referee saw what was happening, Hiromu was like, he hit me, hitting the eye with the wrench. Um, you know, like it's just all house of torture tactics. We get a uh, Hiromu tries to do his sunset bomb, however. Show grabs the referee, and then Evil comes in and takes the chair and hits Hiromu in the ribs. And this is where we get the cross on power driver. Um, but you know, Hiromu kicks out of that. Hiromu then uses the wrench. Oh, yeah, I already mentioned that he uses the wrench like in the Eddie Guerrero spot. We get everything is Hiromu because Hiromu decides to do everything is evil on show. We get time bomb number two and regular time bomb done on show and that gives Hiromu the win and two points in best of the super juniors our semi-main event is block b yoshinobu kanamaru versus master wado and this is a perfect example of everything we've been talking about about master wado so if you guys have not listened to the past and previous twitter spaces I've been having 
I've been trying to have a discussion about like Master Wado, and I've been having it like through DMs and everything. Um, but you know, just to get you up to speed, Master Wado is a really good wrestler. He's a really good junior wrestler, and he has really great matches. The only problem is is that he does not really like believe in himself fully. Um, now I'm starting to see in this match in particular, uh, he got to switch up his style. Especially in times of when, you know, he might end up getting an injury. He is known for high flying. Uh, he could do some technical stuff, uh, but he's known for like the high flying, high flying flash kind of thing. And and to bring up what TJP said when he was on commentary, he said that Master Wado has all the talent in the world, but doesn't know what to do with it. And this is one of those matches where. It is true. So as much as I praise Master Wado, I do know that Master Wado still needs to improve. He has to tighten up a little bit more and, you know, think on the fly for when some shit goes down, right? Because in wrestling, if a wrestler knows that you are a high flyer and you're a very fast-paced wrestler, uh, the best way to slow you down is, one, the obvious, do a headlock. Work a hole, kid. Or the other obvious of cutting the base of the wrestler, like working on the knees, working on the ankle. When you take that base away, they're not going to have as much power or speed. Sure, you could say that, you know, their adrenaline that's coursing through their veins is going to, um, you know, make them forget about the pain and they could, like, fight through it. Yeah, that's that's cool on, like, one hand, but... To be realistic while still being kayfabe and, and selling and telling a story, once the legs are ripped out from somebody that could go pretty fast, they got to think on their feet now. They're like, all right, cool. You don't want to go at a fast pace? You know, let's go at your pace. Let's, you know, let's see who can out-wrestle who. However, the danger of that is if you're not at least decent enough or well, not, not really well-versed, but mostly decent enough to good enough to match their ground game, meaning the opponent's ground game, then sure, go for that. Uh, but I really do think that every wrestler should at least uh, train in different styles of professional wrestling and other styles of uh, martial arts and like just be an all-around competitor because you never know when like you're facing somebody and they might just end up that one day, that one night, that one match, be like, you know what? I'm tired of this guy always using his speed, so I'm going to take out, you know, that speed. I'm going to take out that agility, and I'm going to uh, redo my moveset to take that out. So then you as the, you know, other wrestler, like his opponent or her opponent, you know, once that happens, you got to think on your feet too. Be like, all right, Tuka, play this game, and you got to, like, play the chess game in a way. So, so for Master Wado to fight Yoshinobu, which, you know, I think at this point we should just call him Uncle, Yo uh, Uncle Yoshinobu or Uncle Kanemaru because he really does remind me of like an uncle. Yoshinobu ends up working on Master Wado's leg because he sets up people for the figure four leg lock. And so because of that, um, you know, Master Wado is still wrestling on that bad leg that he's selling. He's selling it wonderfully. 
but he's still doing like high risk moves. He's still doing, you know, very like acrobatic stuff, drop kicks, springboard job kicks, like anything that his moveset is about high flying, he's still doing it. And I'm like, sir, you're going to further injure that knee to where maybe it could get like seriously injured. The last thing you want is that if you know your opponent is going to work a body part, don't continue to do your same move set because then you can actually get like actually injured rather than just feeling like the soreness or a pain level of like six, six and a half. But the moment that you continue to do the same thing of what you're normally used to doing while you're at 100%, that's when injuries can come about. So that's why I say, you know, wrestlers should be well-versed in, like, different styles just in case you're fighting, um, you know, Yoshinobu and he's going to be working on your knees so he could soften you up and go for the figure four leg lock. Like, sometimes you should know your opponent ahead of time, especially with specialists like Desperado. Yoshinobu. And right now, those are the only two that I could think of. My brain wanted to say Hiromu, but Hiromu is not really a specialist in like a submission in a way, or even focusing on a body part. Hiromu's special. Well, Hiromu is a lovable special guy, but Hiromu's uh, specialty is endurance. That is his specialty. So back to this. The two that I could think of that like really goes after a body part and has been really going after a body part like during this tournament is like Yoshinobu and then Desperado sometimes. But Yoshinobu is like, man, we're wrestling my way and my style. And I really did put in my notes that, you know, the high moves that Master Wado continues to do damages his own knee. And that only helps Yoshinobu to apply this figure four leg lock that will get him to tap out. And that's exactly... What didn't happen? I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to look at my notes and like that's exactly what didn't happen. Even though Masawada was in pain with his knee and still doing the high moves with his messed up knee, Masawada ends up getting two points over Yoshinobu because he did a high angle German suplex to Yoshinobu. And that shit put him away. And of course, Master Water was surprised, as I was surprised. But still, man, you can't rely on putting yourself closer to the brink of getting injured super bad or, um, you know, of losing in a tournament that you know you need to win. You know, um, smart wrestling takes precedent and if someone is focusing on your body part then make sure that you have enough decent knowledge of trying to switch up your style mid-match so that way the body part that has been really worked on can take time to heal now we come to the main event this is the last match it is block a it is leo rush versus taiji ishimori this was a very good match a very interesting um, main event match. It's a little jarring that 
they're both the same height because I'm so used to seeing a lot of tall wrestlers and then like you know everyone else and I'm just like man it just is so weird uh but that's not but that's not a knock to them it's just a visual thing um you know like I said the match was like really great but just a visual thing I'm like oh this is so interesting they're the same height uh because I still think that cameras do not do justice to someone's height or you know how they how they look or whatever and the same thing could go for animals when you are uh you know recording them as well uh it's all about angles it is it's all about angles both of these guys were evenly matched fast paced and then we finally get into the ring and they do double strong lariats and then we get a chop exchange taiji has been sending people into the ring post and this guy did it again to Leo Rush, sending him into the ring post, shoulder first. Taiji goes and takes off the corner pad because, you know, why not? Taiji then goes for Leo's arm, the one that is uh, currently being nursed. Uh, and he, like, stretches it with his feet. But, you know, rope breaks are your best friend. Taiji does that beautiful sliding German suplex that I love to watch. The same thing what uh, Shisuke Nakamura does. However, Leo manages to do a falcon arrow to Taiji in this match. And then, of course, Taiji is going to send Leo into the ring post, bring him back out, and do a shoulder breaker to his to his arm. Which he then sets, sets up Leo for the La Mystica into the bone lock. And Leo was going to get to the ropes, but... Taiji decided to reposition it, and that's when Leo decided to use Taiji's body weight and momentum to get a sneak roll-up. However, Taiji was like, nah, you're not going to do that to me, and kicks out. Only to reapply the bone lock, and that's when, you know, Leo Rush, you know, decides to do it again, but escapes, and they both do lariats again, and, you know, the double down. Leo comes in with that TKO and then the final hour, but Taiji is like, nope, I'm going to get those knees up. We get some kickouts. We get a Spanish fly. But the thing that really ends this match is a power drive DDT or rush hour and then final hour. So like a huge-ass Leo rush combination to put Taiji away. This was a really, like I said, a really good match. Both of them are hard-hitting. Both of them are really good wrestlers. The crowd is basically in love with Leo. Like, they're on his side. Every single uh, place that they go to in Japan during these four nights, all every crowd, like, love Leo Rush. And it's it's a breath of fresh air because Leo has all those... I don't really know what to call it, but it's just over here, I guess something just wasn't clicking on like the professional side, you know? Um, and if he does ever hear this, I don't want him to ever think that, you know, I shit on wrestlers or whatever, but like, you know, over here, something wasn't really clicking. But then if you go over to like Japan or Mexico, like, 
they respect wrestling way much more. We over here respect it too to a certain degree, and then we have, you know, Twitter going at each other, yelling at each other, or Reddit where people yell at each other, or people just trying to, you know, be snobby about wrestling, and then they wonder why, like, wrestling is not at the boom that it should be um, because of all those arguments. But the moment that Leo went over to, like, Japan, they fell in love with the guy, and, like, they're pushing him to the moon, which I don't mind. It's a breath of fresh air. It's nice that, you know, we get to see Leo wrestle, you know, different competitors and, uh, you know, actually uh, give Hiromu pointers to do that counter. I'm sorry, that counter. I mean, that cutter. Hiromu would never do the cutter that happened on night three when they fought in the main event. If it wasn't for Leo, we wouldn't be seeing the character progression of Yo. So I really do think that Leo has found his home and he is working well with everybody. Of course, you know, um, I was going to say like the dirt sheets aren't saying anything bad. They always have some type of quote unquote insider into like New Japan to know about people's contracts, to know about any type of drama that like it's not true uh, but no one has said anything about Leo, so you know everything that I've seen Leo do, and and the direct positivity that has weaved into New Japan Pro Wrestling and like Best of Super Juniors is because of Leo. So, like I said, Yo having a character, Yo's character progression progression actually like being really good, and then um, you know teaching Hiromu to do that cutter in night three during their main event. Um, all really good, all really nice. Now, like I said, even though Leah Rush and Mike Bailey are still in the lead, and I would have to tally up TJP's points and see where he's at, but in the event that Leo and or Mike Bailey do not win Best of Super Juniors and somebody else wins it, and in the event that Hiromu is still champion by the time that I say all of this, Mike Bailey and Leo Rush do have the ability to tell New Japan management that they both beat in Hiromu. They both deserve a shot at that junior heavyweight championship title. You know? So, you know, that could always be a possibility. We could always get a triple threat match of Hiromu versus Leo Rush versus Mike Bailey for that junior heavyweight championship title. And while Leo Rush is helping people develop things, can Leo Rush help out Master Wado? Just a little bit? Something? Uh, Because I'm still trying to figure out an answer to a question that was given to me of, like, who can mentor Master Wado? I would love to mentor Master Wado. I would love to. I just think that there might be a language barrier, but... You know, I could, you know, Chris Charlton could be my translator. Uh, Chris Charlton is the best on commentary with Kevin Kelly, but like, you know, I would love to mentor Master Wado. Like, I would definitely sit down with him and go through everything and like make sure he understands this or that and, you know, try to make him into the best Master Wado that he could be. You know, um, he has the talent. I'm willing to like work with talents and be like, hey, let me try to help you out. Let me try to think outside the box and maybe try this, try that. 
Um, and then if it doesn't work, we could always put it on the back burner or like, you know, put it in a box where like we could go take a look at it later and whatnot. So wrestling community, I'm asking you guys, you know, to help push out this um, Twitter space about, you know, me helping the New Japan people. The best way to support somebody is by word of mouth. And that costs zero dollars. Because everything that you do about like sharing, telling a friend, letting them know about, you know, people with good ideas or letting others know that they're in good hands when they listen to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I have no idea where I'm going with this, but it's all free. It's all free and easy to use. And right at your fingertips. All right, guys. That's it for me. This is the whole entire review for Best of the Super Juniors 30, night four, for May 16th, 2023. If you want to, maybe, maybe I'm going to be live streaming some wrestling matches, watching some Dan Maloney matches. Maybe. Pulling a double duty today, because I love what I do, and I have to keep up with the tradition of Tape Study Tuesdays. Follow me on kick.com forward slash Marie Shadows or twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore Shadows. While you're at it, follow me at both. And also follow my Twitter account so that way you never miss an update about whatever the hell I do and whatever the hell I post. Also, quick reminder, you still have time to sponsor me for Goddesses of War Wrestling. Goddesses of War Wrestling is happening this Saturday, May 20th. All you have to do is either slide into my DMs or email me at squaredcirclepodcast at outlook.com if you ever wanted to sponsor me, which would be great. I'll be on commentary that night. You get a shout-out on the vlog. You get a shout-out on social media. You get a shout-out in my newsletter that's read globally around the world. Globally, guys. Globally. I have people from all over the world reading my newsletter. So if you want that kind of exposure, you give me like your links. It's the same way of how wrestling promotions are like, hey, you can sponsor a wrestler and you know you get all your stuff on something for that wrestler. So exactly what this is. So if you ever want to sponsor me just because, slide into my DMs or email me. If not, that's totally fine. But if you do, it's encouraged. Um, I love you guys for any type of support. If I see you at Goddesses of the War this Saturday, you'll still be in my vlog. You know, I'll still give you a high five. We could still chat about wrestling. Um, and then I hope you guys enjoy the show for Goddesses of the War Wrestling. I am excited to be on commentary and I have the oh so cheesiest fucking smile on right now. And then there is a doubleheader Titan Championship Wrestling right after Goddesses of War Wrestling. So do not miss. This double header. Do not miss it. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to this review. I love you guys. And you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Marie Shadows. And I'll see you guys in the next one. <laughs>